0: This is the business of sports. Let's talk Super Bowl and Fox Sports. Every single thing that occurs, I want people to remember this is a business. Guaranteed money isn't necessarily guaranteed. Michael Barr. How high can these valuations go? Scott Soshnank. Duke. Everybody loves rooting against him, right? Evan Novi williams Off the field, the NBA has never been buzzier.
1: And the leaders in the sports industry. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred.
0: Mike Oresco, he's the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference. Jared Smith, president of Ticketmaster. Then race car driver Elio
1: Castroneves. Bloomberg Business of Sports
0: from Bloomberg Radio.
1: Hello, I'm Michael Barr.
0: I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Scott Soschnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports.
1: Today we begin talking with Rick Burton, once again, Syracuse University professor of sports management, but first let's look at some of the top stories of the week, beginning with ESPN 8, and you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Old schoolers, you know
0: what I'm talking about with the old wide world of sports, we're watching marbles, baby. Yeah, like Barr, if you remember that your cable box remote used to have a really long cord. (laughs) That stretched from the box to the couch yes then you remember the days of the strongman competition and the cliff diving from this little outfit espn that was in bristol connecticut that was sort of part of your basic cable package and you're like hey this is kind of interesting and cool but boy what are they showing and is there really a need for 24 7 sports are we going to watch that much guess what in this time of no sports we're going back to that programming, and I love the marbles.
2: Yeah, so ESPN on Sunday will be airing a 24-hour lineup. You know, I'll rattle off some of them right now: Tetris World Championship, Marble <laughs> Runs, Slippery Stair Climbing, Stone Skipping Competition, Cup Stacking, Sign Spinning. A bunch of this, as we talk about, you know, the, how these networks are starving for content. This is a creative way. This is not. This is not a permanent solution. This is not going to be ESPN for the next two months. But if they can add some levity to sports fans out there that just want to watch people competing in something, they've done this before. It's been a big success, and I think it's smart for ESPN to dust it off again.
0: <laughs> Novi Williams, let me ask you this. Yeah. Guys, let yeah. me ask you this. What would you think about a crowdsourced hour of programming for ESPN? I saw people juggling toilet paper Uh, Listen, in my breaks, I take my son outside, and he's trying trick things with a lacrosse stick. What do you think about asking the fans to crowdsource their best videos of the day, they send it in, and they give me an hour of what people are doing, uh, athletics-wise, at home? I would watch that.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what Twitter is doing right now. But yeah, I think something that's more curated, yeah, I think that that would work. Yeah. Look, I mean, we're going to see so much more creativity over the next three months as ideas like this run their course and executives at ESPN turn to each other and say, okay, what's next? (laughs) You know, what are we going to do next Sunday? Um, But I think it's a good idea, Scott, for sure.
1: Hey, I've juggled toilet paper, but it wasn't a sport. So up next, let's turn to the NBA. This is your story, by the way. Uh, Scott, uh, the players are seeking clarity on the financials associated with a suspended season. And you talked with uh, the head of the Players Association, Michelle Roberts.
0: Yeah, she told me, Michelle told me that it was literally seconds after Adam Silver had announced that the season was being paused, that the first email inquiry came from a player saying, what does this mean for my paycheck? And then it was more players, and then it was more players. I mean, this drumbeat steady stream of what does this mean? And they were able to answer that question because it was in the labor contract that should the owners do or wish to, they could hold back a portion of your salary. That was just a defined amount. But they cannot answer the questions that are being asked now. The players are, are, want to know what happens if we come back in pick a month. What happens if there are no fans? What happens if the whole thing is wiped out? What are the economic ramifications for me? And the NBA is modeling all of these scenarios right now so they can report to the owners as well as the players. But to quote Michelle Roberts from a BRI standpoint, And in the collective bargaining uh, agreement, BRI means basketball-related income. That means how much money are they taking. It includes everything like the kitchen sink, and it determines the salary cap, which tells the players how much they can make. This has been the season from hell because there's just so much uncertainty, and the players do not know.
2: And let's not forget that a, a number of months ago, NBA revenue took a pretty big hit after Daryl Morey's tweet and, and the feud that, that the NBA had uh, with China. You know? so, so this is compounding
1: that problem. Finally, let's talk about the success of the New York football giants that they're seeing on YouTube. Gentlemen?
0: Yeah, we we're, ta- we're going to talk with Rick Burton later in the program about creativity. And it seems the Giants for some time now have been pushing their YouTube channel uh, with programming and, and, and the folks are finding it. All of their metrics are up. So leading into something like this, where there's no games and you need to have some sort of bond with your fans, the Giants may be well positioned to actually take advantage.
2: Yeah, they seem to be kind of heading in the direction that I think all sports teams should be going in, right? their their athletes are at home, you know, they're separated, but there's no reason why you can't put three linebackers in a, on a on a video call and and have them watch game tape and and break it down for fans. You you can get. You know you're you to the online to all 22.
0: The online all <laughs> exactly. 22. That is over I, millions. I love it.
2: I yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I think there is there there's so much interesting and creative content that is available out there and I think we're going to start seeing uh, just because you know, the, the the Giants need to keep their fans engaged, you know, even though there's no football happening right now and wouldn't be otherwise, right? They, they, they just need to make sure that, that people are still thinking about them. And, and free agency has been pretty vibrant. It's been good for the NFL. They're trying to keep this draft happening because that is also kind of a big touch point for fans. But all sports teams out there, whether they would be in season or not, are now kind of faced with how do we keep fans engaged with our brand and keep remind them that they like us so that when sports resume, they're right back there watching games and, and consuming content.
1: Now let's get into this week's interview with Rick Burton, Syracuse University Professor of Sports Management.
0: Rick, thanks so much for joining us guys glad
3: to be with you and uh, hope you're keeping safe
0: yeah this isn't going to be easy by the way because we've got four voices in four different locations we're used to looking at each other how has life been for you on campus uh, trying to disseminate messages and
3: education well at a certain level there is no campus or it's a virtual campus depending on how you want to think about it I mean, we've all more or less been sent home And uh, all of the faculty are trying to get into a position like teachers all over America where we're trying to think about how to make our classes interesting and dynamic, but having to do it online and, and do it in a remote way that you hope that your students are going to be able to get value out of it.
0: Tell me about your setup at home and how are you keeping it interesting? What do you find the students respond to?
3: Well, what I'm trying to do, we're on spring break this week, and what I'm trying to do is make sure that when we start classes on Monday, and my first one will be on Tuesday, and I've actually got uh, a guest speaker coming in uh, both on Tuesday and Thursday, that uh, they're going to be able to see the class class is going to be able to see the speaker and we're going to be able to do it in an interactive way. I've got to learn that technology between now and Tuesday. Uh, There's a thing called Blackboard Collaborate, uh, which is something that the university uses, and evidently it will allow my guest speaker to speak from a remote location, um, but have it feel like a virtual classroom.
1: My stepson is in that situation where they have canceled all the classes at his college and now everything is going online for the next semester. I guess I just wonder now is this the way it's going to be because this could happen for about a year and a half uh, according to what the health experts say.
3: Yeah Michael, I'm hoping that we're not looking at a year. I think you know almost everyone out there is hoping that there's some kind of return to normal by August, September and that classes in the fall will go as planned. Uh, But if you're right or if anyone is, uh, you know, out there making these predictions is right that we could be kind of self-quarantined for a year, I think that the faculty are really going to have to learn how to manage that distance-based education. And, you know, online classes have been around for years. They've been growing at universities. In fact, I've been working on a white paper for the NCAA uh, which looks at you know this process of making it easier for students to take student athletes to take online classes, uh, but it's it's tricky ground, and you know that a lot of us get bored very easily, um, and when we can turn something off and and switch to something else, it's different from sitting in a classroom with a you know a professor staring at you.
2: Rick, you teach sports management. I'm curious. If the events of the last month, how are they going to change your curriculum at all? Are you going to spend more time on insurance or event cancellation? I mean, are you thinking about the ways in which what we've experienced, which is certainly unprecedented, might affect your classes moving forward from a
0: content perspective? Rick, let me jump in. I think it's going to become not only sports management, but French. Everybody, allow me to introduce you to force majeure. <laughs>
3: yeah, you you're mais we miss you. it's um I think that all of us are gonna have to learn how to teach differently but also to talk about the subjects and and, and the situations that are gonna be relevant for what the world looks like going forward. Uh my area of expertise, if it's that uh... is leadership and you know one of the things that i'm fascinated by is how the different commissioners are responding i used to be the commissioner of a pro basketball league down in australia and so for me watching the decisions that adam silver is making or rob manfred gary batman uh, i'm curious as to how they keep their fan base connected to the game at a time when you have no games Um, And I think what you're seeing the NFL do is is really aggressively trying to leverage the draft and free agency, even though they were out of season. I think they're trying to keep their fans connected to what's going to happen next. Brady, Tom Brady's helping them um, by announcing that he's leaving the Patriots and going to the Bucs. And all of a sudden you've got content. And it may be hard to film Tom, um, but from a leadership standpoint, this is really interesting to me. Who's doing it
2: well and who is doing it not so well?
3: (laughs) Well, I think it's hard to say that anyone's not doing it well. Partly what we're doing is we're looking at the... the politicians. And, 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 you know, I read a great piece in the New York Times the other day that talked about Governor Cuomo of New York not being a particularly well-loved governor during times of peacefulness or business as usual, but that he is really excelling. He's really standing out and looking kind of like a Churchill-type leader uh, at a time when communities are really looking for people to assure them that things are going to be okay or telling them this is these are the facts and this is where we're going next Um, You know, in in our sports world, I think the guy who generally has gotten the most positive publicity over the last year has been Adam Silver. Um, And if you go back to what he did with Donald Sterling, if you go back to, you know, David Stern passing and and the event that was held at Radio City Music Hall, um, if you look at Adam's decisiveness at points, Uh, you know, uh, tipping points or, you know, I think Adam's been great. And that's not to take anything away from Roger, Gary, or or Rob, but I I think that these moments of having to step up and be out in front uh, are critical to how your fan base and your owners respond to the future.
1: Speaking of pushing back uh, games and things like that, are we going to play the uh, Tokyo Olympics? Uh, Yes, Tokyo wants to go with it but uh, it's going to be very hard to do that
3: yeah michael you and i are always so aligned and, and think about topics that, that get away from the you know the four stick and puck or uh, i guess bat and ball sports uh listen i think they in their in their dream world uh, they believe they're going to be able to pull it off and um, I think it's it's coming at them faster than they want. You know, right now people are writing off April and May. Uh, they're being tentative about June, but imagining they're still going to have July and August. And I think what Scott kind of alluded to a few moments ago was the fact that there are, or maybe it was Evan, that there were there are people out there really who are saying, "Hey, kids, we may be shut down for the next year." Um, and I think from a Tokyo 2020 standpoint, I know Dick Pound has been out in front of this a little bit. Um, the, the folks down in Australia have been trying to comment. Um, I, I think uh, Thomas Bach, the IOC president, is trying to hold on as long as he can to say um, we're still going to stage the games. But I think if you get into June, and maybe I'm naive, maybe it's no more than mid-May, I think if you get to June 1st and there are still outbreaks taking place somewhere in the world, I think the IOC is going to have to shutter Tokyo.
0: And Rick, we talked about the Olympics a little bit in the last segment. Let me ask you, let me put you on the line. Give me a percentage that the Olympics take place as scheduled. Uh,
3: gosh, I, you know, a, a day ago, a week ago, you know, I might have said fifty-fifty. I, I think we're we're zooming towards twenty-eighty, and, and really, you know, one ninety-nine. As each day goes by, and more and more people, uh, un- unfortunately, succumb to this this illness. Uh, it gets harder and harder to imagine that the Olympics can take place. And, and I think someone was making the comment about, uh, Evan was saying that, you know, you've got to hold the qualifying events in order to produce your your competitors. And, and look at the country of Italy. Um, I don't think that the, it's going to be possible for them to stage anything for, you know, for probably a year. Um, and, and so suddenly you say, well, we're going to have the Olympics, but we're not going to have the Italians. We're not going to have – and then you just start rattling off country names where it's just not going to be possible for them to send a team that has actually been trained and could potentially represent the country in the best possible way.
0: I think the athletes actually have more control, and I think athletes are learning this uh, if they do speak out. How many athletes would it take One, two, five, ten? to simply say – this isn 't worth it. We cannot be protected i 'm not coming
3: well, I think my my position would be that not only can the athletes um, kind of self impose an end to the Olympics, but you could also have the the opposite effect, which is that the athletes could be training in private. Um, trying to hold on to their dreams. You know, my experience with the USOC, that is, for most Olympians, there is a very, very narrow window where they are absolutely at their elite finest. Um, and, you know, for the sake of the story, let's make it between the ages of 22 and 32. Um, and that you know that ability to to swim one one hundredth of a second faster than someone else exists only for a brief window of time um, and And I think that they train kind of all their lives, they taper that that window is so narrow that they 're just hoping that they can hit it in that spot. Now, the problem is, and I use swimming as an example because our daughter was a swimmer, um, is you got to have pools open and coaches able to train, you know, hundreds of athletes in a pool in, in various lanes. And so I, I want it both ways. I want the athletes to be able to train in private because they're trying to hang on to their dream. But the training facilities in most places have been closed down, and so the best you can do is train in your driveway. You know you can run around central park and and it's frankly, it's not going to be good enough. And, and so the quality of the performances in for an event that's scheduled to take place in less than one hundred and eighty days you you just you wouldn't see world quality competition. You would see people who were rusty. Um, and I think the the challenge for the the Japanese, Olympic Committee or or the IOC or the the Tokyo Organizing Committee is, are we willing to put on second-rate games in order to deliver the games, or would we all be smart to just take a cancellation and try and put this into 2021?
2: To that point, I spoke with a a sprint coach here in the U.S., and he was saying he had a a team of Chinese Olympic hopefuls, runners who were here. They got called back to China. They're all now in two-week quarantine in China. He had to close his facility, so he's giving out training instructions via web link. But he said there are a number of other athletes that he knows of that are essentially openly ignoring the warnings not to train in groups, not to gather in groups. Because of the fact that that as you said, Rick, you know, training digitally or training in your own driveway alone is just not as effective as doing it the way that these athletes are comfortable with. Um, And I I agree. I think that that is kind of the danger that we're in right now. Is that you know everyone cares about the danger to the athletes, as we saw with the NBA, and unfortunately, the Olympics still going on as planned. I think is maybe forcing athletes to make decisions that are maybe not great for their health.
3: Yeah, and I and I think the young people and I and I (laughs) I love their bold. I was looking at the news and seeing all the kids on spring break and down at South Padre Island, and they were in Clearwater, Florida, and they were all out on the beach, and they were all, you know, hugging each other and hanging all over each other. And and I loved, you know, the memory of of the hormones of of being, you know, 20 and immortal, you know, invincible. And there will be a fair number of athletes who, you know, fit into that category uh, despite their elite status but um, I, I think everybody's gonna get woken up here really really quickly and I think someone's gonna grab those young people and say hey this stuff is really bad it can kill you and uh, you know and as soon as they have a friend or a fellow trained athlete um, you know suddenly die uh, it's gonna hit home in a much more powerful way and Rick I want to get a little into the television world because so much of it Depends
0: on live sports and we've got nothing ESPN the 800 pound gorilla in the industry is bringing back the Ocho I mean we're getting things like marbles and death cliff diving things like that Um, What what do these networks do what is the ripple down the, the trickle effect to advertisers to sponsors in a world with no live sports?
3: Well, it's funny you ask. You know, most of us are old enough to remember when ESPN started and they would run a lot of Australian rules football. Mm-hmm. And they were just buying any Str- kind Strongest of competition. man competition, right? Magnus I for Magnuson. Exactly right. uh, it, it's, listen, they're in a world of hurt. And I think that any of their documentaries that they've had on the shelves, they're pulling those out, the 30 for 30s. Um, they're going for the, you know, the absurd and the abstract. I think I was watching the other day just out of sheer boredom and it was, looked like crazy Norwegian kids doing death dives off of diving boards and, and the whole, you know, it was like the world belly flop championships. And, um, I, I think that they're trying to fill up this time and suddenly SportsCenter is one of their hottest properties. Um, because they don't have live, unscripted drama where they normally would. And, you know, the Times, again, had a, had a big article on this a couple of days ago, and, and it talked about the fact that live sport has huge value when it's happening, then it has almost zero value afterwards. Uh, because everyone already knows the outcome. Um, So they've got to be really careful about showing um, former games, although shout-out to Syracuse. They won a six-overtime thriller the other day on ESPN. uh, Beating (laughs) Wait, you ready for this
0: one, Rick? (laughs) You're going back to the UConn game. I was there with Scott O'Neill, a Villanova guy, who uh, now runs Harris Blitzer uh, Sports and Entertainment, of course, and at halftime of the game, I'm like, yeah, it's getting kind of late. I've been here all day. I'm going home.
3: <laughs> oops. Yeah, oops. Uh, one of the one of the all-time great games, and they had it on. And, of course, if you're a Syracuse fan, you love watching it because Syracuse should have never won the game, and, and they didn't lead until the sixth overtime, um, and you're happy with the outcome every time. But someone is eventually going to get around to showing Indiana beating Syracuse in 1987. And Keith Smart is going to continue to hit that jumper from the corner. And all the Syracuse people are going to cringe. So, listen, it's it's a brave new world without live content. You know, the Ididatrod, you know, they ran that up in Alaska. Uh, I think UFC went ahead with an event down in Brazil uh, but all of that stuff is going to get shut down. And, and eventually, you know, the networks are going to be trying to figure out how to give us, huh, here's, where here's where we're going. Esports, drone racing, battle bots, you know, the stuff that I'm always big on. It, it, now, all of a sudden, esports is getting a shove like you can't believe because you can televise esport championships with no risk of anyone catching a virus.
1: Well that brings me to the next point is about the the sports betting sites that are out there that are popping up uh, now with legalized sports you don't have any sports what are you going to bet on and you mentioned some but another thing i guess that's still popular and still going on is horse racing
3: yeah exactly right michael and and in fact you can run the horses and and keep the horses and the jockeys and the trainers apart and uh, except for the jockey on the horse and uh and people are going to bet on horse racing and dog racing and trotters may come back i mean you know it's a strange time but the the gambler in us needs something. And uh, someone's going to start, you know, you know, showing twitch of two flies walking up the wall, and (laughs) create the opportunity for something to bet on.
2: Let's let's talk about cheerier notes real quick. Let's be more optimistic in the in when sports come back, and they will at some point, whether it's June, July, August, at some point, the spigot's going to turn back on how big a sports commerce bonanza do you think that will be do you think ESPN will start seeing record ratings do you think sports books will see record you know handle do you think just the once sports are back again there's going to be this massive celebration that is also going to be a, a big commercial opportunity for these companies
3: yeah you'd have to think so that you'd have this pent up demand and and there would be this you know huge Euphoria, and that the teams would celebrate and create, you know, special welcome back nights and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if our our behavior isn't going to get changed somehow, maybe over the next, depending on how long we're at this. You know, is it six months? Is it a year? If we don't go outside for a year or don't do, you know, can't go to... Mass gatherings, and I and I know Evan, you're trying to get end this on a, on a positive note, and and, <laughs> and I want to be positive with you. I think you know Winston Churchill had that amazing ability uh, during World War II to give people hope, and I think that's you know at least part of my job or our collective job, the four of us. I, I want to believe people are going to come back the way they always were, um, but I think we've got to be realistic about the fact that um, a lot of people, if they're self-quarantined for three months, six months, a year, um, are, are going to change behaviorally, and it may take them quite a while. So we may not see that immediate spike when everybody is told you can go back to the stadium because I think people will have gotten used to a different lifestyle. Uh, And they will have distracted themselves and amused themselves in ways they never thought of. Um, They're going to have taken up cribbage or bridge, or they're going to have taken up things that they can do in their house. Um, And it may take them a while. They may be a little cautious about going back out.
1: Rick, thank you so much. Rick Burton, who is the Syracuse University Professor of Sports Management, thank you so much for taking the time and talking with us. And I hope uh, the next time we have you on, we're... We're back up uh, and running with uh, sports all over the place. Thank you so much, sir.
3: Michael, I thank you. And i got to put in a plug. My official title, which you guys beat into the ground last time, is the David B. (laughs) Flock Professor of Sport Management. So I'll work in a a plug for David, who has been a great supporter of uh, of my teaching.
1: (laughs) True that. Thank you, sir.
3: Appreciate it so much. Bye-bye.
1: I am hoping, after what Rick said, that we get back to some normalcy when we watch sports again after this huge coronavirus scare because it, we have changed the way that we view sports we're changing the way that we interact with people uh, are we ever going to be in a in a close space ever again watching a basketball game or a football game let's see what happens
2: yeah i, I mean I, I i think that's super interesting and i think we're going to go go to basketball games again i'm not Too worried about that, but you know his idea that we may be changing just all of our habits. That that to me is the is the bigger issue. If you're ESPN, if you're DraftKings, if you're the New York Giants, you know I think we we lose the forest through the trees when we think too much about what's being lost in this three months or these two months as you bridge the gap until when sports turn back on again. But the bigger concern for those companies may be that when things turn back on again, they're not the way that they used to be. Um, So I think that that is something that is super interesting. I haven't heard many people talking about it, um, but that's my takeaway for sure.
0: I am with you, Eben, and and I've said it this way. I was talking to a multi-billionaire sports team owner earlier, and we weren't specifically talking about sports, but I did say in terms of that behavioral change, I did say when we return to some semblance of normalcy, I'm not sure that I am going to be able to go through my work day without getting up in the middle of the day and taking a walk outside because that has become part of my routine in getting through this sort of isolation. And I really enjoy it. It helps me. It refreshes me. And I think I want to keep it as part of my routine. So if you extrapolate that to the behavior of do we need the sports? Is it that as important? Do I, am I going to get angry because my team lost? There's just other stuff going on. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since i was a kid. feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike.
1: We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week and for our listeners, play along and see if you can win our home showcase. This is the question. The highest following the NBA players that earn money through Instagram. And we're, uh, we're just going to do the top two. Uh, let's start with LeBron James. How much do you think he cashes in per sponsored post? I'll let you guys guess.
3: I'm
2: going to embarrass myself with a guess that is an order of magnitude off. I'm going to say that LeBron James makes $235,000 per
0: Higher. post. Keep going.
2: Four hundred and fifty,
0: lower. All right, Bart, give me oh, give so them to I
2: was him. actually I, I
1: wasn't that far. Yeah, actually, okay. it's three hundred thousand eight hundred fifty dollars. And second is Steph. That's a win for me. That was pretty good. I will give you that. You were <laughs> close enough in the range game. Steph Curry is second. Uh, he gets a uh, hundred fifty-five thousand one hundred dollars per post. We should. Good work, work if you can it. get it,
0: guys. That's all. I'll leave it at that. I, Good I work get zero dollars.
1: You <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports.
0: I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. And I'm Scott Soschnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soschnick. Thank you very much for joining us. Please tune in next week when we once again speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.